just to remind ourselves the performance insight sessions that we host um, uh, really to share information, knowledge of why we train, what we do, why we do. So we've got a bit of a broader context because as, as athletes, you know, it's okay, you know, pounding the numbers, looking at the, the data. But if we've got a broader understanding of some of the, the wider things around performance, it will make us better individuals and, and better better athletes in general. Um, and we also want to sort of, this this year, we want to also bring in some guest speakers so they can share their stories, bring some inspiration and give us an even more rounded picture. So I'm absolutely delighted that Christina's agreed to join us this evening. Uh, so thank you, Christina. Really appreciate you giving up your time. Um, I know some of you know Christina um, from around the, the, the Tri Club. Uh, some of you have gone out cycling with Christina uh, and probably just about managed to sort of catch up or keep up. Um, but for those of you that aren't sort of uh, aware of her, her sort of background, I'd just like to sort of just talk you through a sort of a bit of a biography because, you know, Christina's probably quite a modest individual. Um, I, I hope you don't mind me saying that. Um, but, you know, Christina started out on a sort of endurance journey and the current sort of um, women's record holder of the, the Lands End to John O'Groats um, and the North Coast 500. And she's going to sort of unpack a bit more about, about that and, and what that, that means. Um, she's um, based in Stirling, but originally from the Highlands in Ireland, so one of those tough, tough uh, parts of the world that I think might have something to do with some of that, that grit and performance, but we'll, we'll hear about that shortly. And she only started, this was quite astounding when I, I read this, Christina only started competitive cycling back in 2016. And when we sort of come on to some of the achievements she's had, I think that should give us all inspiration that, you know, um, it's, never, it's never too late to start, start on your journey. Um, so to just give you some of the numbers, um, Christina did lands in John O'Groats, which is 839 miles. She did that in 51 uh, hours, five minutes and 27 seconds. So if any of you fancy having a go at that, that's the number to beat. Certainly the ladies on the call. Um, she did the... North Coast 500 in 36 hours, 39 minutes and seven seconds. Um, and more recently, and this is something that we'll, we'll, we'll unpack on the call, um, last year, Christina broke the uh, women's time trial record, both at a Scottish national level for the 100 miler and then the national 24 hour record. Um, and just to give you an idea, I know a lot of you do long course um, distance triathlon, Ironman. She did 100 miles in four hours, 19 and 21. I think that's fair to say that's a great split. <laughs> uh, and the distance that she covered in 12 hours was 600, sorry, 263 miles. So I think, you know, in terms of Christina's credentials, uh, I think we're in good hands for the next sort of 30, 30 odd minutes. Um, the way we're going to sort of structure the conversation, and, and we really want to sort of keep it fairly free-flowing, uh, we're going to look at some of Christina's background, uh, her sporting roots, if you like, what motivated, motivated her to go, go long and get into ultra-endurance. Um, then we're going to sort of stay, take a look at sort of those three events that I just covered, how she trained and what particular things that she, she, she had to overcome or plan around some of the ancillary things and logistics around those, those events. Um, and then finally, we're going to sort of bring it a bit more up to date and look at some of the challenges had to face. Some of you would be aware of Christina was involved in a, a road traffic accident and um, uh, we'll have a look at that and uh, take some of the lessons that they can apply. Is that, is that okay? Sounds good. Bit of a me anyway. Yeah, I think Helen's just messaging me. Hold on. Has Helen dropped out? 
No. Okay. Can everyone still hear us okay? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, Chris, Christina, um, if we sort of start off, really, uh, I mean, you know, you've got an impressive pedigree, um, but if you look at yourself and look at high performance, what, what constitutes high performance to you? Um, well, I think if you had probably mentioned that word to me prior to 2016, I would have said that's your Chrissy Wellington, that's your Chris Hoyes, that's your Katie Archibald type of um, athletes. These are the people that train and compete to that high performance level they are. Um, but since sort of getting into the kind of endurance and the com competition side of it there, high performance for me is basically what I'm doing and what I'd assume that everyone else on this call is doing as well at the same time there, because I think it is is when we're putting that time, the effort, the commitment, the dedication into our goals, that is high performance. So you don't need to be professional, you don't need to be sponsored, you don't need to be sort of that high ranking to be a high performance athlete. Yeah. So would you say it's about sort of having a, a goal and then just chipping away day in, day out and, and you know, proving that, you know, some people talk about this getting 1% better every day. Uh, would, would, would that fit into that, that sort of mantra? Oh, absolutely. And I think like high performances for everyone, that's the thing that it's, you know, it's not just for the top end athletes there. It's the case there, like you say, that 1% of you can just sort of, put, what it literally is, is chipping away at it. I mean, there are days there that you might think, well, I'm not getting anywhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, whether it's in the pool, if it's in the bike there, the next thing you're kind of knocking out these numbers and you're kind of like going, so, you know, that's what, you know, the, you're putting the work and you're getting that response back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So a lot of people know of your cycling achievements, but if you rewind, can you just talk about, you know, how did you get here? What was your some of your background and where did it all start and, 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 and you know, get that sort of fitness journey, that sort of sporting journey? Um, I don't know. It's quite funny because I think I, I liked your just kind of introduction there because that just makes me sound kind of more high or the high performance um, because prior to that it absolutely wasn't anything to do with that it was all just um, you know as a kid and that kind of knocking about on bikes and in the local swim club the local running club it was one of these kind of just doing bits and pieces here and there um, you know as you mentioned there I grew up in the western isles in Stornoway so you were just outside all the time in the weather you know we had the rain the wind in the sea um, so it was that really kind of outdoory kind of active lifestyle which was great so really enjoyed that and just sort of it was just more for fun I suppose for fitness at anything at that point um, and then when I was 18 I left store and I went to Glasgow to study so I went to study sports coaching with sports development which the ironic thing was I probably spent more time in the pub than I did doing any exercise doing any sports you know it was first time away from home I was 18 you know coming to the big bad world of Glasgow and sort of experience what was going on there. Um, probably every January or so, I'd think, oh, I better go to the gym and do this, do that. But I had no commitment, no nothing. So that just kind of spiraled. Um, but that seemed to go on each year and each year and each year. So it wasn't really until probably about 2012 or 2010 um, that I decided, I thought, well, I wanted to do a 10K um, and raise some money for cancer research. So I thought, right, 10K is kind of a good goal there. I can do that easily. Um, just kind of chip away at the kind of training for that. Did that, I think it was like in an hour 15 or something like that. So it was, it was enough there just to kind of get me hooked really. 
So that 10K turned into a half marathon to then to a marathon. Um, so at that point there, you know, I'm in my 30s, so I'm not going to be sort of breaking any records at that point. You know, I'm not going to be like doing any sprints and things like that. So I figured at that point there, I've kind of more got the engine as opposed to the kind of like the sprinting kind of um, fibers. So it went really from doing the long distance marathon running. And then on my off days there, I enjoy just doing some cycling or some swimming. But the cycling that I was doing it was on a mountain bike that I had. So I didn't even have like a proper bike or anything. Um, and then it was in 2012 that I decided I want to try a triathlon. So there was one that, um, that was when I was living in Dublin, there was, it was a sprint triathlon and it was a pool swim. So I thought, you know, this would be a really good introduction, you know, because at that point I thought I wanted to sort of get into the fitness and sort of have my goals then. So I thought, right, it's uh, easy enough to swim in the pool. I can do that there. And then get my, well, on that one, I was on my mountain bike. So I got on my mountain bike um, and then 5k run after that and then I think I actually got like a second in my age group I mean it was a small event you know it wasn't like a big thing or that but then that just got me hooked so from that I got the bug so then from that then looked into the bike to work scheme and managed to get my um, my first giant and my first live bike um, 750 pounds 750 euros it was there um, and I just loved it you know I just really enjoyed the bike and just the whole triathlon thing and then from that time um, I formed a triathlon club in Port Marnock um, which is still up and running now it's a really good established club now um, and it was great you know it was just the whole environment it was just the whole kind of like social thing which I mean don't get me wrong we trained really hard but then at the same time we would go out for lunch we'd go to the pub and you know that whole brief interaction after that um, so I think that's really what got me into triathlon and then again going from the sprint distance, then setting the goal for the standard distance. And then I thought maybe I could even try a half Ironman. So there was the Galway one that was on um, in Dublin. So I tried that, managed it, did that in about six and a half hours. So I thought, well, that's, it was not too bad. So I think I could uh, maybe work on that and sort of see what I can do from that onwards. Um, so then to the point that I got talked into doing Ironman UK the following year. So that was the goal from that. And I just loved it. The whole thing, it was just so much, really enjoyed it. You know, you could go out, you could trade and you were with friends, you could eat lots of pizza and you could have wine afterwards. And it was just like, what's not to love about it? Um, so from then on, really, it was a case of going from um, the triathlon parts. Then I moved to Stirling, 2016. Um, and I tell this story and it's quite funny because um, I obviously have to gauge my audience because... When I moved, I was like, at that point, still doing triathlon. So do I join Sterling Triathlon Club? Do I join Sterling Bike Club? And the funny thing was, I was all said, I'd made all the communications and everything to join Sterling Triathlon Club. Um, but that was the weekend that you were having your um, triathlon or, the, or the, um, the duathlon at the uni. So there wasn't any training that weekend. So then by chance, I went out with Sterling Bike Club and then... The first time you know I was in that session so I was like oh well you could do this you could do that there so that was that, that's the only reason that I joined Sterling Bike Club not Triathlon Club. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a bit of a theme there so you know in terms of like starting off at 10k then going longer then going longer then starting off the you know sprint distance then going longer so you, you know you, you obviously continue to challenge and push yourself 
Um, so you did the Ironman UK. What then sparked the motivation to go from that into that ultra endurance around, certainly around the cycling and, and then sort of into the events that you, you've done recently? Was there a moment that, that or an individual or group of people that you, you worked with, that you trained with, that, that gave you that motivation? Or did you just wake up one morning and said, I'm, I'm going to have a shot at the, the jog women's record? No, well, that comes with a glass of wine, that one. That decision comes with a chat over a glass of wine. But prior to that, um, I think, which probably a lot of people on this um, chat here can probably sort of appreciate as well. When I was doing triathlon, it was um, the legs and, you know, from all the running that was just playing havoc on my body. It was just constant, not getting injured, but it was just like, it could feel like it was just so sore. And when I went on the bike, you know, it was so much easier. So I think just to sort of make that transition, um, but I think sort of the turning point at that point was I thought, right, once I got into the Keltman um, in 2018, I thought, if I can do the Keltman, if I finish it, get the blue T-shirt, and then I can sort of put triathlon to bed for the moment and then sort of focus on the endurance cycling at that point. Because then further on, prior to that, was in 2017, I'd gone down to do the Mersey Road 24-hour TT with Sterling Bike Club because there's quite a... a group that would go down there every year um, and race for that and it was just a really nice experience and just, well I'll take that back it wasn't a really nice experience because <laughs> I remember the first one I did I think it was basically I think my Strava title was I was never doing that again but then I think the distance that I got for for the 24 hours it was I got 396 miles and then I thought oh, I should have, I could have been able to have gone for 400. So then I thought, well, next year I'll try it. So I trained a bit for the following year um, after doing the Keltman. Um, and then I managed, I think it was 423 miles. Um, so I was happy with that, but no, I mean, it wasn't pleasant, but at the same time, it was probably um, less pleasant than doing a 10 mile time trial for me because, you know, to go at that pace that for the, when I don't have that kind of engine, you know, it's more difficult. So that's when I kind of realized that I had more of an engine that I could do more endurance. And then that's when I would start passing people. So people, you know, like my competitors that went out too hard or that they were faster that way over the time that they would burn out. But then that's when I would get stronger. So that engine and whatever it was, the fuel and the training sort of kept me going. Um, but when I was down to the 24 hours, that's when I met um, Mike Broadwood. That's oh, got yeah. yeah men's record um, and Jasmine Muller so I've raced against that a couple of times and I was aware that she had attempted to do Land's End to John O'Groats um, but I remember like looking at Mike Strava his feet there and just like the whole length of the country and just looking at it and just like in complete amazement and go you know I wouldn't even drive that in one go never mind cycle it and like he did in 42 hours so between that and then over the course of things and myself and my pal Lynn, we were chatting about it and a couple of glasses of wine and brought it up and could you do this? Could you, oh no, couldn't do this. Well, if you wanted to do this, we could support you and you know, like we could help you. So then as uh, the wine glasses got larger, <laughs> the kind of um, inhibitions kind of um, disappeared and thought, oh, we could do that then. So that's really where that kind of came from the stem for or the kind of, basically probably the courage at that point to sort of say it out loud and to commit to it 
Yeah. Did you did you get any sort of coaching or support uh, from Jasmine and Mike uh, to make that leap to to, to give the record a, a shot? Yeah, I mean, Mike's completely like he's like one hundred percent supportive. Um, like he's involved in the committee for the RRE that the organising or the yeah. governing body for that. Um, Jasmine as well. She was. Um, I was conscious not to sort of go asking her for sort of information, um, but she was kind enough to volunteer it to me. You know, because yeah. she's. She was really supportive in that way, and she was keen for a woman to, you know, to get the record. The fact that you know the records had set or had been in place there for twenty years, so you know there was a few other people that had sort of attempted it there. So she was quite keen and supportive in that way as well. Yeah. And yeah. Lynn Taylor, that's that had the record as well, um, Lynn Budolph. So she she's been in touch, and you know, like she's a good friend now. So she's at the same time, you know, if offering any advice if there's anything that I needed to speak to her. So the people they were all really supportive. Yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned that you you, you know you you sort of raise money for cancer research, and I know in both your attempts you've raised money for charity. So so are those external? Are there any external influences that are really pushing you on to to do that charity charity um, awareness and fundraising as well when you're doing these epic challenges? Oh, absolutely. I think it works both ways because, you know, I think it's great that I can do these things or that anyone can do sports and raise money for a charity because it's a win-win. Um, but at the same time, and I'm sure people might agree that, you know, once you put it out there, once you get your Just Giving page or whatever they are, and you're seeing yeah. that you're doing this, you can't, it's, you know, you can't really turn back and go, no, I'm not doing it or don't yeah. fancy, you know, unless, you know, you've got a genuine reason not to. So it's that kind of motivation. And I think the fact that, um for Land's End to John O'Groats, I did it for Alzheimer's Scotland. Um, so that's was my mum, she was diagnosed um, with vascular dementia and they were really, really supportive for her. So it was really nice just to, sort of, to be able to give back to them. And I mean, the support that we got from people there, so we'd raised just over 13,000 pounds for them, which, uh, I mean, I can't even get my head around that, you know, the people that they just kept sort of sponsoring. Um, and then even while I was doing the ride itself there, we had a link on the dot page. So people were putting in the time. So then the, the team kept telling me, you know, like if we we're passing at things like that, they would say, oh, you know, it's up to 7,000 or it's up to 8,000. So there's no way like you could stop at that point anyway. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, how did you find having that, that, that external intrinsic motivation? How did that impact you when you're in the event? Because there's going to be dark points. How, how did that, that that affects you you know in, in terms of your performance and, and your, your mindset I mean that helped I mean 100% because you know I think it's the same thing with the two events said I think unless there was a mechanical or I physically couldn't do it or if I was injured um I would be keeping going because you know the amount of training that I had done for both events the amount of people that had backed me support me so there was no way that I could stop anyway um I knew that Physically, I could do it. Mentally, I could do it. Hopefully, putting them both together, that I could. So it was just a case of just keeping that. Because, I mean, especially um, Land's End to John O'Groats, you know, the 51 hours without any sleep, that does get challenging because, you know, you do start hallucinating and you do start kind of wondering. And, you know, I've got one person telling me something in one ear and then something in the other ear, which is only just my mind playing tricks on me. So, I mean, that's what it's really important to have your support team around you as well because you know there's times there I was just talking gibberish and you know that they were sort of being able to sort of just like 
basically put me in the right direction and pedal and shut up kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so we've got a lot of athletes on the call. They're all age groupers. There's, there's no preferential sponsored athletes yet. And I know yourself, uh, you've got other commitments. So, so there was, um, can you just talk through, you know, how do you train for one of those big epic challenges and how do you balance all the demands that you've got on your time? Um, well, a bit like what I'm saying there with Nicola and our Strava and doing um, 4 a.m. sessions and things like that. It's um, a bit similar to that. So, you know, I work for Falkirk Council. I work full time. So thankfully, over the last wee while, I've been work- I had been working from home. So I was able to sort of go out training in the morning or maybe get something at lunchtime. Um, and then weekends, it was literally sort of Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, all day. You know, that's really what the training was. I mean, up to the top end of the sessions there, sometimes they could be doing like 20, 25 hours a week training. So it was like really tough. And, you know, I probably, you know, I just, um, how do you say, I mean, I think obviously my, my social life and all that, obviously that sort of went on hold because, you know, like when everyone was going out, you know, for lunches, dinners, drinking and things like that, um, I wasn't able to do it. Um, but I, I probably was able to do it, but I chose not to do it because, I had that goal to do and I knew that to give myself the best possible chance to do that so that meant that I had to sort of you know forego a few things there but I knew that the rewards at the end would be so much better yeah so obviously there's the physical training you're just getting the volume and the intensity in but in terms of you mentioned that your sleep deprivation some of these events you're doing a really you know multi-day events can you talk about how you train for that you know lack of sleep fatigue how did, how did you approach that going into 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 a challenge yeah i mean that's a funny thing because you can't train really for a you know lack of sleep like that you know unless you're a kid having a sleepover i mean an adult's <laughs> really not going to volunteer to like to stay up all night just for the sake of it for the fun of it really you know like even watching tv at night time i'll be falling asleep so it's kind of you didn't you didn't know how your body was going to train or how it's going to cope so it was really difficult to train for but knowing that i had you know the 24 hours had the experience of doing that there so i had it in the plan yeah. there anyway that we would do the 24 hours so for the race we would get up to penrith yeah. and in there i had it scheduled there for i could sleep for 20 minutes if need be so i could have that 20 minute sleep um, and then go on there so that's the way that i kind of broke it down that way go to bed go to bed go on but then by the time <laughs> by the time that i was um at Penrith there or when I was going up sharp I felt really good you know and I didn't want to sleep so otherwise that would have been a forced sleep so you know I had a chat there with the team once we stopped um because at that point it was about eight in the morning um so kind of change of skin suit had some porridge um and then just carried on going from that point so it was quite nerve-wracking knowing that you know that, that was me gone 24 hours past without any sleep and then, yeah. you know, once it got to like 30 hours, I'm thinking, how, how's my body going to cope? 35 hours, so not knowing. And then like... Did, did you ever start hallucinating in and see sort yes. of things in the in the dark? Yeah. Yeah, and then nodding off on the A9 on the way down, you know, that lovely smooth descent into Inverness. I'd been looking for... That was the most part of the journey. I'd been looking forward to it. You know, I've driven it many times and just while well, I was driving it, visualising just freewheeling down the lovely smooth roads. And then that's when I just started nodding off. You know, when you get that little kind of like head going down and that kind of one of these, getting a wee yeah. 
behind from the support van. I, I guess I guess I guess training for lack of sleep is quite challenging. But but what about the um, nutrition part? Because that's something you can sort of play around with. So could you just talk through how you yeah you know, what was your nutrition strategy going into the the event? What have you learned, and how would you, you know, how, how would you do it now? You know, what would you change and do differently? Yeah, I mean that is that is kind of that can make or break the whole thing. So apart, you know, nutrition is just as much as a key element as to the training. Um, the first attempt I did for Land's End to John O'Groats, it was nutrition that played a part in me not getting the attempt at that point then as well, um, because of the foods that I was eating and I was getting acid reflux, and then that stopped me eating. So, you know, early on that I wasn't even able to eat. So I was kind of like going on empty even from like 10, 12 hours into it. Um, so then it was kind of going back to the drawing board. Um, that's when I got introduced to um, Rupert Bonington that from Mountain Fuel. Oh, so yeah, yeah. He was really good. Um, he gave me a lot of the samples of the, the energy bars, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the fuel, fuel, fuel good energy bars. Um, so they've got the foods, the gels and the drinks. So it was playing about with that. Um, but then over like 51 hours, you want to have some kind of like foods as well. So it was making up um, just like wraps. So like just cheese and ham, just keeping the food simple. But it was something that you could eat on the bike because apart from the one stop in Penrith there to have some porridge, everything else that I was going to be eating was on the bike. So yeah. I was getting hand ups every hour. So basically it started which thankfully I mean it did go to plan um but as everything as most of my events do when I'm coming towards the end I probably stop eating and you know the team are trying to like put the food into me so then just getting more high calorific drinks instead it's obviously easier to digest so it's literally just playing about with it and then having a combination of like say a bar and a drink and then a bar and um or a gel and a drink and then a wrap so that kind of combination so then that kept it sort of that I wasn't eating the same thing the whole time and then even simple things like changing the type of drink or the flavor of drink each hour as well so yeah. going from like an orange to a black currant to tropical but by the end of it I didn't know what I was drinking <laughs> you know yeah yeah and how much how much of that did you practice in 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 your sort of build up to to to, to the to the challenge Oh, the whole lot, yeah, every time. So every time I was going out, even on a training ride, yeah. um, you know, anything sort of over four hours, I would sort of practice doing that there just to kind of get your body used to it. Um, just so you can knew that you could sort of digest it and the breakdown would work in your body. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think nutrition is a very personal thing as well, isn't it? So yeah. you've almost got to like practice, practice, practice in, in, in training, like find something that works and then nothing new on, on, on race day. Um, so you mentioned, um, I mean, the, 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 I think the, the great thing about the challenge you've done, they're individual efforts. You know, you've, you've got the, the award, but very much it is a team, team effort, isn't it? Yeah. So um, can you just talk us about, you know, how do you build your team? How do you select your team when you're going into these challenges? Um, as you probably picked up on the theme, it's over a glass of wine or a few drinks. And <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm really kind of fortunate in that position that I'm blessed that um, I've got good friends that they're obviously cyclists as well. So it's yeah. like a common ground. Um, and it was basically friends that were, that's what it was formed on from that. So it wasn't specifically, I went out looking for cyclists. It was basically I had friends that were cyclists, um, which I think is really important because then, I've got 100% trust 
in all of them. You know, so we were a team of six there and each one plays their own part. And, you know, at this point now we know each other backwards and, you know, they've sat behind me and in front of me. So often they probably know what I'm going to do before I do myself. Um, and I think, you know, just having that reassurance that, especially like with the North Coast 500 as well, with the challenging nature or the challenging course there, that, you know, there was daunting at times, but knowing that, you know, that they were there for me as well, if anything did happen, um, and they were up ahead so that they could pass on any information like that as well. So, I mean, it's crucial. So, you know, I, sometimes I joke and say, you know, like, I've got the easy job that I just need to pedal, yeah, you know, yeah. all the logistics, you know, it's the whole organising it, like sort of organising all the hotels down at Land's End, about John O'Groats as well, and for the North Coast as well. So it's all the logistics, planning and everything that goes behind that as well. And then they're giving up their time as well for me too. Yeah. And you find that you, you, you've have you used the same team on each challenge? Yeah. So they yeah. so they really get to know you, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So it's the same core team that we have there. Um, we obviously needed a bit more there for Land's End to John O'Groats because yeah. it's all obviously over that length of time. But yeah, no, it's the same guys here from Sterling Bike Club. And, and they've got a like like a glass of wine that's a pre prerequisite <laughs> well i think um, so, towards the end of the north coast 500 i was getting told to hurry up because um the, or they were there was a pint waiting for them brilliant brilliant it's got motivation motivation so we've talked about nc 500 talked about the jog um but a recent challenge you did last year was the tt time trials you know and 100 miles and 24 hours so so that's a slightly you know a very different event um so can you talk about you know you know how did you train differently what was it like because you're actually racing other people and it's not a solo it's not a team support so can you tell us about you know what did you do differently how did you find it you know was it a, a, a different sort of challenge um it was basically an off-the-cuff challenge to be honest because after what happened from Land's End to John O'Groats that was in the July um of 2021 and I still hadn't, you know, that obviously great deal of fitness. Um, I had my health, I had no injuries. So on the back of that, I really wanted to sort of, I had the North Coast in my head anyway. So I thought I wanted sort of just to capitalise on everything there um, and to do it there. So what I think probably going from that to May the next year, it was literally solid training that whole time. And as you can imagine, like over the winter time, because for the North Coast in that early May, I was doing like the peak of the miles were in the winter time and it was awful it was just like I had probably got to the point that I'd really kind of scunnered myself it was just like really miserable and um, so after the North Coast 500 I thought right I just want a break just to like have nothing else planned to do but then after a couple of weeks I thought mm, I quite miss the structure I'd like to do something do whatever so I didn't really sort of have anything in mind um, but then I'd seen that the 100 mile TT was in August and I think I'd said to Gary, my coach, um, maybe it was in the beginning of July. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I've obviously got a base there and, you know, like maybe sort of a like tweak. So obviously to do a hundred miles is quite sort of significantly shorter than the 500. Um, so he basically gave me some sessions, um, probably in that four weeks, sort of to get me ready for that. Um, which thankfully it turned out really well. Um, I did better than I expected because obviously I've still got fatigue in my body from that as well. Um, thankfully no injuries. Um, and then it was really the same on the 12 hour as well. So the 12 hour was 
in the September, so at the beginning of September, so on the back of the 100, then going from that on to the 12. So I thought he just, it was a training. I just, uh, to be honest, I mean, I left it up to Gary that he gave me the sessions on training peaks there. You know, I winced every time I saw them and I just thought, because it wasn't what I was used to doing because, you know, I was obviously doing the base miles, the long miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was doing, I mean, if anyone looked at my Strava at the time, they were probably like, what's she doing? You know, because that was just probably quite uncharacteristic. But um, I think between that and then obviously the knowledge and just being able to hold the pace for that length of time. But the funny thing is, because going into um, the 100 and the 12, it was really, I was quite excited because I thought, great, I'm actually against, I'm on a starting line, as opposed to having the pressures of picking a day, making sure that everything's in place. I can just see it loosely, rock up and, you know, get in the start line and then just do from there. But I just like, I probably um, underestimated it, especially for the 100, because the same thing I thought, right, I'll do the same nutrition. So I'll have the bars, the gels and the wraps. So I knew after 20 minutes, there was not a chance there was a wrap going anywhere near my mouth. <laughs> I just, there was no way that I could eat that. So it was literally just gels. I couldn't even yeah. have bars either, because, you know, when you're going at that pace, You've got to hold an aero position. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's all about aerodynamics. It's a lot more yeah, technical, isn't it? Yeah. So that was a huge learning curve for me. And obviously, I just kind of figured that on the day. Um, but thankfully, I had enough gels and hydration with me to get me through it. So, no, thanks for sharing that. So, so bring us sort of up to more recent events. So I think a lot of people would have read or, or spoke to you about um, an accident you was involved in September last year. Um, can you just maybe talk a bit about that, um, but really how it's affected your training, how it's affected your mindset uh, and your recovery, and I guess what you're doing now to, to, to get back to, to, to fitness and health? So on the back of the 12 hour, that was on the 4th of September, um, I had done a couple of, there was the 30 mile TT um, campus bar in there, just on the local roads there. Um, I had done that one and then the following week, I was going to do my last two races of the season. So that was the um, the women's vet road race on the Saturday and then the Trossachs TT on the Sunday. Um, so I'd gone out on the Tuesday just after work, just as I normally do, doing the usual kind of Kirk Lane um, A811 route there that everyone knows, everyone's been on it. Um, you know, not on the back, off the back of my hand. Um, just on this occasion there that... Um, I was doing some efforts there so at the same time Gary was getting me when I was doing a road race he'll, he was making me do sort of explosive sessions there at that point point. Um, so at this point I was doing a, just in a recovery part there so I was just going to go and my plan was to do a 360 at the Kippen roundabout to head back into Stirling um, but unfortunately that never happened that the vehicle um, overtook me going in before I was approaching the roundabout um, hit the vehicle hit me and then obviously I didn't realize that there was a trailer attached to the vehicle as well um, then the trailer hit me again um, then at that point with the force that the driver was going at I did a 180 um, and skidded on the ground headed back facing into Stirling um, at that point there when I hit the deck I obviously re realized that I knew that something was wrong um, I lay on the ground there but thankfully there was a car behind I was able to stop the woman came out to help me so I knew at that point um 
that I hadn't broke my collarbone from my shoulders because I could sort of move them about. So it was that kind of relief thinking that was okay. Um, but there was an awful pain sort of in my lower back. And then at that point I was worried that it was something like spinal injury, but then I was kind of like moving my fingers and my toes. So I knew that I could move them, so that was fine there. So over the course of the next couple of hours, I literally had to wait there um, till the ambulance came. Um, which they were all great. And the people that stopped on the side of the road were amazing. Um, but, you know, they stopped the traffic. So sort of to secure me to get from there. So I think probably over the time scale, I was probably there for about two hours and then got to Larbert for the a &E, and then just lay on a bed there, probably got a trolley there for a couple of hours waiting to get seen, getting x-ray CT scans there. So probably most people know there's kind of like four fractures in my pelvis um, they decided at the time they were kind of humming and hawing whether they were going to operate or not um, they decided not to operate um, but for the next three days I couldn't move out of bed I couldn't do anything I was just in so much pain I couldn't move couldn't go to the toilet um, having to rely on people and the nurses and that to help me so that in itself I mean the amount of pain that I was in and just you know leaving the house fit and healthy probably the fittest I've ever been to yeah. then just like three days of not being able to move anything so that was that's nearly 14 15 weeks ago now um so now as people have probably seen them kind of back on the turbo um thankfully at the help of the great physio that's been able to sort of get me back on my feet um just to sort of pushing me as well which is probably what I need and just giving me the confidence because I was afraid to move, not knowing, you know, with all these fractures, so that would do more damage. So between seeing her and then getting further x-rays, having the confidence to be able to do that. So currently I'm doing um, swifting. So I'd never, I've never entered the world of um, swift or virtual cycling. Oh, before. It's, a, it's a rabbit hole. It's a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that was going on? <laughs> You'll be racing on it next. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> I thought, what, what are these people doing it's like computer games? But now I'm like, eh. So kind of like building up, you know, half an hour each time. Um, so managed a little bit of a longer one today, um, but just sort of managing the pain. So probably that's probably where I'm at at the moment. Um, I've not been back out on the road yet. Um, that is going to be a challenge. That is a fear that I do have. Um, I just have lost all my confidence yeah. for that at the moment. I'm not dwelling at the moment because you know it's not the weather to go out you know I'm not going to sort of put myself into that situation there and then my friends that have obviously helped me in the races and that before that they'll we'll all go out together as a group ride um just to get my confidence back and we can sort of I think it's really just to take it from there yeah yeah well I think I think we're all really grateful that you know you 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 know you recovered because I think the, the accident could have been a lot worse so we're really pleased and I think you know a lot of us follow you on Strava or see you on, on, on Watopia recently so it's great to see you getting back active um, but you know it, it, in, in terms of sort of that recovery process you, you mentioned in some of your history you always had a challenge and you like to push yourself so so where are you on that journey and what is the next challenge? I'm not at the stage that I'm confident enough to say it out loud yet okay. um but no there is something I have in my mind but again that's going to come through with after a discussion with Gary my coach um because you know sometimes I think he just cringes thinking oh what's she going to come up with next 
and I just like give them a few weeks notice or whatever things like that but now you know there's hopefully over the next six months that I can build my fitness um and then can see like even on Zwift there like my FTP you know I've dropped that down by 100 so there's obviously a lot of work that I need to sort of get to from there um but no after a chat with him hopefully that he will say you know that he will be able to confirm that it is possible you know I'll not be smashing any records I'll not be um doing anything you know to that level this year um you know but as the doctors and the consultants said you know it can take up for a year for the bones to heal and things like that yeah. so I think you know everyone's going on about you know the words for 2023 so I think my word is patience yeah and <laughs> and 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 stay off the wine so sober sober January. <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme here in terms of wine and the next challenge but uh yeah but no i pre- appreciate yeah. you know you're, you're at the start of that recovery process and i think i think i think everyone this call on my behalf and you know we we will support you and i think we can't wait to see you you come back strong and i think uh, i'm just worried about how we can keep up with you on on Shrava and, and with topia <laughs> Um, before we open it up to some some, some questions, um, uh, we talked about performance at the beginning of the call. Yeah, you know, what what performance, high performance means to you. But if you had to sort of share to the audience, you know, what are three three sort of non negotiable traits that that you believe are important to lead a high performance lifestyle? Uh, what what would they be? Um, I would say, and probably in no particular order, but the three are key key components um i think structure is one which you know you have to have a plan to follow you have to you know have the guidance so you need to know what you're doing so there's no point in thinking right i'm going to do this in six months and then just decide each day what you're going to do you have to have that plan to follow you have to sort of know what you're doing or be advised by someone that knows what what they're doing um nutrition is the other key one same thing you know like you wouldn't run your car on empty you know you wouldn't put diesel into a petrol car so it's like the same thing with your body you know like these times they are like when i was up to the heel or the training there i wouldn't be drinking i wouldn't be eating any junk or anything like that so it's just keeping everything clean and healthy like that and then i think recovery is the other key importance as well as like sleeping which um so you know since the accident that's what i find it's really difficult now because while i was training i slept brilliant you know i've probably only needed like even five hours sleep but it was really good quality sleep that I got because I was training so I was able to fall asleep right away and then I could get up feeling really refreshed so I think that's what's really important that you know that you do that and it's not you're not over training so you don't you know put in junk miles it's all quality training that you are doing so then that you get time to recover yeah that's brilliant I think that's great great advice 